From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. I think we need to talk to our payers about what's really happening because at the end of the day, it's about caring for their members. And I think it's okay to have those discussions and conversations with them. That's Doral Jacobson on payer contracting during the pandemic. We'll hear more from Doral on total cost of care, telehealth, and staffing considerations as a result of COVID-19. But first, a word from our sponsor. They say the journey is more important than the destination. That's why MGMA and Audi have partnered to make your journey more enjoyable. As an MGMA member, you're eligible to save $500 to $2,000 on your next Audi vehicle purchase on select models. For more information on how to become an MGMA member and save on your next Audi purchase, visit mgma.com slash membership slash Audi. This week's guest is no stranger to the MGMA Insights podcast or to the greater MGMA community. The CEO of Prosper Beyond and an MGMA consultant and author, Doral Jacobson is set to be a featured speaker at MGMA's virtual Medical Practice Excellence Conference in October. She'll be there co-presenting sessions on total cost of care and virtual health. Doral, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, nice to talk to you, Daniel. Now, we had a conversation in Nashville. This was back in March. It was at MGMA's financial conference. We were talking right as the CDC had had released some early guidelines about COVID-19. We were um, kind of in flux for a moment there about what would be going on with that face-to-face conference. Um, we followed the guidelines they gave us at the conference. We were not shaking hands there. We were all frequently washing our hands. Uh, just to show you how much this has progressed, um, mask wearing was not really brought up at that time, and that was not part of the plan as far as interacting with each other. Um, that's the last time I've seen you in person. I just wanted to get a quick update from you. How, is, how have things been going for you personally, professionally? How, how are you doing out there? Oh, thanks, Daniel. Yeah, um, well, it's been a very interesting times, uh, to, to say the least. I think um, that was actually the last conference that I, I spoke at and, and attended. Um, yeah, so, you know, uh, just from a, from a personal perspective, life is interesting. And now that there are, my home is a lot more populated with people who now need a place to stay college kids and friends and whatnot. So it's a little busier around here than normal, um, which actually has a lot of pluses. It's uh, really helped us kind of slow down and, and, and connect, reconnect in ways that uh, really just, we just wouldn't have. So that's been kind of an unexpected kind of cool outcome. Um, on, the, on the professional side, um, Lots of uh, lots of things going on with providers, of course. Um, you know, many providers uh, shut down for a while. I have many ambulatory surgery center clients that closed their doors for several months. Um, of course, we are all facing dramatic utilization decreases and uh, 
you know, it's been, it's been very interesting to kind of help navigate this. And, and then from the Prosper Beyond side, of course, we support practices with contracting. So now we have lots of new things to talk about with payers, you know, telehealth being one of them. Um, who's going to reimburse us for this uh, ever escalating expensive PPE? So lots of just new topics that have arisen that um, you know we are assisting our clients with. So yeah, it's been it's been very interesting, and I, and I can't wait to share some of the things that have gone on specifically within the state that uh, that are I think kind of exciting. So. Thanks for asking, Daniel. Yeah, thank you. And you hit on a lot of the points, telehealth, reimbursement, PPEs, all of those um, are things that we're going to talk about during this conversation. But one that I did want to talk about first is because we're communicating across the country. I'm in Colorado. You're in North Carolina. Anytime I'm talking to somebody, I kind of want to get a feel for what's going on locally, meaning in your immediate vicinity, but also in the state and get an idea of that. So give us an update. What is taking place in North Carolina? How is, uh, how is uh, everyone handling or working, you know, trying to just get through this uh, pandemic right now mm -hmm. there? Yeah, we've, uh, you know, it's been, it's been really interesting. I'm, I'm part of the North Carolina MGMA I'm actually the chair of their contracting committee, and we recently had our advocacy days. We always have those in June, and we had them all virtually. So um, uh, we had a payer panel this year, so talking to payers about all of these topics relative really to, to COVID, um, and then also um, uh, Medicaid, uh, Medicaid topics as well. But, you know, it was really interesting to hear a lot of that commentary, and I'll, I'll share a little bit of that just from the payer perspective. And the Blue Cross Blue Shield representative uh, gave us some data points that I thought were interesting. June last year, they had, from a claims perspective, about 16,000 claims for telehealth. Same time period this June, 700,000 Holy uh, claims. Yeah. Or telehealth yeah so just an explosion there um, and it's been really cool to see how Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina has responded to support the provider community um, and I don't know if you've you've read about this but they rolled out in late June a program um, and it's it's actually called accelerate to value and it's it's a program where they're making really making independent primary care practices whole. So they're, they're taking their revenue from 2019 and giving them kind of a bolus of revenue uh, to, so that they, um, they don't go under. Uh, how amazing is that really right. supporting these practices? Um, because without, without that support from payer partners who are these practices paycheck, um, you know, many of them, um, you know, I personally have experienced this. My primary care provider laid off the physician assistant, the PA that I, I normally see. So, you know, we are we are trying to protect against that. And our the largest commercial payer in this market has really stepped up and and done some pretty amazing things to try to help these independent practices stay stay afloat, which is um, which is fantastic for our communities and and really very exciting. Um, 
And then, of course, this is um, in partnership with Allidade, ACO, and then the vision long-term in 2022 is for those practices to to take on a global payment model. So really accelerating the uh, path to value is what's happening here mm-hmm. in, in North Carolina, uh, which really isn't surprising. I think this just, it makes anything that was painful um, exacerbates it. So um, yeah, so it's really kind of pushing, pushing us forward into those models uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, you, yeah. we've talked several times in the past, you're always harping on and really, really being a great advocate for value-based care. Um, One of those ways is, as you mentioned earlier, uh, the advent of telehealth and telemedicine, the way that is, uh, well, it's been essential to, for people to get care Mm -hmm. during uh, this pandemic. Talk about that though, from your perspective, what's been going on with telehealth, you, you, you quoted some of those yeah. just startling numbers uh, mm-hmm. about uh, people accessing it, but talk about that and then, and then help us out a little bit with the reimbursement side, because we have been in very close yeah. contact with the MGMA community, and that may be the number one question that we've heard over the last several months is about reimbursement related to telehealth. So help us understand that a little bit better. Oh, yeah, thanks. That's a, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's been really challenging for practices to quickly adopt this. And I've been just blown away by how um, rapidly we've been able to embrace these platforms and, and also um, assist our patients in this transition. You know, I think what we kind of forget about is that someone's got to do this ramp up and it's the practices. So all of a sudden, instead of welcoming someone into your waiting room and ushering back there to the exam room, we're having to to, um, pray that people download this application, answer all of their questions, potentially even getting family members involved to get these things loaded. So there's a lot that practices have taken on to uh, not only stand up these platforms, which in and of itself requires resources and capital and expertise, but then also help um, help patients uh, with this new platform and care delivery model. So, uh, and the onus has been on the practices. So it's a uh, yeah, it's been amazing, and I, it's been different with different specialties. You know, I have um, I we really do serve all kinds of clients, and and the dermatology, for example, there's not a whole lot they can do via telehealth. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can do some acne. Uh, but you know it's it's very challenging for some specialties, and it's a little easier for others. Um, you know, primary care certainly. But then you've got the other piece of the equation, right? So even if the providers and clinicians are ready, are the patients uh, willing to use that mode to have a visit? I mean, and that's a little bit of a mixed bag. And then now that states are are opening up and seeing. Uh, patients, we, we still are seeing that it's a, it's slow. It's slow to return to volumes that um, we're accustomed to. So that's, that's really challenging to manage because of course our fixed costs remain the same. So that's really tough. So from a telehealth perspective, um, that's uh, just a little bit about what I've been seeing in North Carolina, certainly, and, and across the country. 
Mm-hmm. You know, from the reimbursement perspective, it's interesting on our payer panel here, here in North Carolina, we asked all the payers about that because, of course, now we're getting office visit rates with many of them. And and I'll quote this. It was the United Healthcare representative that said that they believe reimbursement will remain close to parity. And we certainly hope that that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it's it's going to be tricky if that's not the case. So a lot of this, of course, is, is unknown and there are no guarantees. But I do sense and hear from the payers that they appreciate and understand that um, we're going to need to support practices in this transition. And, and really, they have a, a quandary, not a quandary, but there's a decision to make, right? I mean, we can pay X rate or Y rate. But it, the truth is, if we want clinicians to be there for us, we are going to have to support them economically. There's just no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I think it's encouraging, and we're hearing a lot of, peop- a lot of payers um, echoing that sentiment, which I think is is key. Um, the other thing that is is tricky and has come up a lot, and I understand, is um, the PPE. And it, it doesn't, uh, it's not surprising what's going on, right? Because the um, it's more expensive with supply and demand, of course, there's more demand. So prices are increasing for PPE. And not necessarily is reimbursement keeping pace with the increase in cost. So, you know, a lot of um, practices are challenged there. Um, and I can tell you, you know, what we're seeing in other, um, in other medical specialties, and, and I love dentists, you know, I think we can learn a lot from the dental community, and they're passing on those costs to patients, and I completely understand why. So I think these are things that, you know, on the medical side, we need to work with our payer partners to make sure we're keeping our staff and the members safe mm-hmm. and then also not pushing the burden the financial burden onto the practices um, who are already hard hit uh you know from a from in many ways mm-hmm. yeah you mm-hmm. said something really interesting a minute ago that i know our listeners are well aware of this but volume patient volume is down cost as you were mm-hmm. alluding to or going to remain flat in a lot of areas but the dilemma then is well how do we how do we make sense of that as a practice how do we find some kind of balance so you have uh, talked at length before about healthcare waste or inefficiencies so mm-hmm. when you're talking with practices who have reopened who are uh, trying to make sense financially of what's going on if that volume is down, what are some ways that they can uh, find some relief here then within their practice? Are there some inefficiencies that you're helping them identify? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a, a couple of things that we're, we're seeing practices and we're encouraging practices to do. Um, uh, and of course, there are, you know, every practice is handling this a, a little bit differently, but um, even from a uh, just a long-term perspective, if we are really serving folks and we envision doing more telehealth, there's a lot of questions to be asked. You know, do we need to, how does this space make sense for us? Because we have to really look at our fixed costs. So are, are we going to, is all, are we going to require this amount of territory to serve the community? 
and, and can it look a little different? I think um, folks are starting to think about that and, and getting creative. Um, you know, and the, uh, the other piece really is, uh, you know, trying to stagger individuals from a work perspective and the whole challenge of working from home. Mm-hmm. and managing folks working from home. I think that's another, potentially another opportunity as we continue to explore what that looks like. Um, you know, on the revenue cycle side, for example, perhaps there can be more sharing of resources among practices. If we're working from home, maybe we can kind of bear the cost of uh, paying for that expertise together maybe for AR follow-up or something like that. Um, there are, I think there are lots of ways that we're going to have to be more efficient and more creative um, based on the, the volume piece. And the other piece is looking to our payer partners to assist us. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I shared earlier that Blue Cross Blue Shield example, but I think we need to talk to our payers about what's really happening because at the end of the day, it's about caring for their members. And I think it's okay to have those discussions and conversations with them. We are actively negotiating increased reimbursement for our clients with payers on a daily basis successfully. So that's someone that we need to be going to um, because we've got to work from both sides of the equation. Daniel, I think it's minimizing the expenses and getting creative there about how we think about those things and then maximizing reimbursement. We really need to be doing both of those things at the same time and and then getting super super efficient like if we don't really have the need for a full FTE um, seeing if we can uh, perhaps do some sort of um, arrangement where we're sharing resources with maybe other clinicians within the community Um, yeah it's very very tricky but I'm seeing a lot of creative things and then of course all the things that you know we really should be Focusing on any anyway, you know, uh, taking advantage of group purchasing, um, being, uh, you know, really taking um, from a recruiting perspective, making sure that we're really questioning the level of uh, staff that we need, and perhaps if there are folks that have found other homes, are there ways that we can uh, address and, um, you know all of the requirements that we need from a practice perspective with the existing staff that we have. So just really kind of testing efficiencies and becoming more lean. Mm -hmm. I think that's another uh, kind of open invitation for practices to really embrace that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's a little all over the board. Well, it is. And that's kind of (laughs) what I alluded to earlier. The, the, as they say, the goalposts keep moving because just as you and I were, uh, finding out when we were in Nashville back in, it's around March 6th, 7th, 8th. It was in that time frame, And mm-hmm. uh, immediately we were hearing, okay, let's uh, make sure uh, we limit contact. We don't shake hands. We wash our hands frequently. But then we learn, well, actually, it's all about uh, what's in the air. And so we need to wear those yeah. masks. You and I were talking about that offline. But so it is things mm-hmm. change. This is not just a, uh, hey, we have the blueprint for what's going on right now. Let's let's uh, just attach it to what's happening now because we know how to fix this thing. Well, we're finding out that uh, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of uh, 
moving parts here, as you were alluding to, I want to go back to something you said, though, that really caught my attention. You were talking about we really need to maximize reimbursement. Do you have some some steps to that or some strategy behind that? How do practices do that right now with some unknowns related to telehealth or some things that still need to be resolved there? How do we maximize mm-hmm. reimbursement? What are some best steps to take? Yeah. I think it's the first recommendation I have for practices is to get in touch with your payer partners and schedule Mm -hmm. a phone call. Tell them exactly what's going on at your practice, how you're being challenged, and and be very transparent with them. I mean, I was on the phone with a payer um, last week, and, and this practice is, you know, they're it's an independent practice, and they're considering joining a health system. And these, this kind of environment, right, it's a catalyst for those kinds of mergers. Well, what does that really do from an economic perspective? It increases reimbursement. So, I mean, we basically said to the payer, we need help here. Um, give us a lift so that we can remain independent and, and care for your members the way that we always have. Or, or we'll get, you'll, you'll get much uh, bigger increase in expense if we join this health system. So I think we just have to be very vulnerable, share our position and allow uh, payer partners to, to at least have a chance at helping us remain uh, viable from a a financial perspective. So I think that's a is, is get on the phone with them. Don't just send an email, be, be personal about it. Um, Tell them what's happening. Give them specific examples. I love the PPE example. They're people, you know, and they understand we have to be protecting ourselves and we have to be protecting our patients. So wearing a mask is super, super important. Now, a mask, you know, six months ago, maybe cost 50 cents and today it might be five dollars. Be as transparent as that so that they understand this is really what's going on. Um, You know, there's just so much we I think I find that practices assume payers know that they really don't, or they don't really understand it with the the glamourity that we think that they do. Mm -hmm. So be very specific there. Um, And then I would also, if telehealth, uh, if your practice is one where you really think that this is going to be something that long-term is going to be a major offering, get those rates negotiated and try to get them um, to be fixed in your contract, you know, maybe even carved out or at a level uh, of confidence for yourself that you're going to know what your paycheck's going to be so that you can make all of the decisions that you need to about staffing and real estate and, and, and whatnot around, uh, um, around the services that you're going to pro- be providing. And geez, you know, this June to last June, what a drastic difference. Yeah. And we've got to stabilize the revenue for these practices. So be very, uh, very, very clear there. And the last thing I'll say is shoot for a multiple year increase. This is one thing with COVID that, um, you know, Daniel, I know you and I have chatted about this, but mm-hmm. we are learning as we go. And with that level of uncertainty, the more certainty we can create as a practice in terms of revenue, the better. So if you're on the phone with a payer and you're asking for an increase, ask for a 24-month contract where you get an automatic increase in year two so that, number one, you're not distracted by the busyness of negotiating a contract in 12 months. And number two, you've got some stabilization of your revenue. 
Um, so that's another recommendation I have because it's one thing that I can say um, that I'm pretty confident in is that this is going to take a while to, to settle down. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think the more space we can create for ourselves to address other things, the better. Um, and then, of course, the more we can do while we're already on the phone with the payer to stabilize our revenue for multiple years, it'll just make life a little easier for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are um, talking to practices around the country, practices of different specialties. I'm assuming different size and scope of practices. So you're hearing a lot of different stories, but I've got to believe there are some similarities, some similar familiar pain points that are taking place. What are some of those? What are some of those challenges you hear again and again, regardless of the practice that you're talking to? Yeah, um, I, I definitely hear folks struggling with, um, um, employees coming down with COVID Mm. and managing that, you know, how, how, um, how to manage there. And, and that's been interesting. I had one group, a big hospital group, hospitalist group I know of that had like over a hundred on their, um, on their roster that had come down with COVID. So, I mean, how do you manage when you've got a significant part of your workforce down for weeks? Mm. So that's, that's really challenging. And then, you know, masks, I'll tell you, it's all over the board. You know, we've got um, just policy in and of itself. When do I wear a mask? And I seem to see it in some cases, the policy that's being developed is pretty straightforward. We always wear a mask Mm -hmm. in the practice period. And then I've seen others where we will wear a mask. However, if you're in your office, you don't need to wear a mask. And then there are others that are not requiring masks um, uh, 100% of the time, only when there's our patients. So it's, it's a little all over the board, which I think is, is difficult to manage. Um, and, well, we, you know, just making... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say something about patient volume. Um, mm-hmm. We've been talking about this at MGMA and actually uh, covered it a little bit in last week's podcast, but... Several uh, early studies have come out about patients delaying care, you know, the Mm -hmm. uh, non-elective and elective uh, procedures. They're they're putting things off right now. Have you talked to practices about that and how they're experiencing that? And then is there anything they can do or are there plans they can develop where they can communicate perhaps with patients, educate them, bring them in Mm -hmm. where possible? What's going on out there? Yeah, we, I do, I do hear that, um, the delay of care. And I am seeing some practices do some pretty creative things where they're um, calling patients and reassuring them that um, it's safe to come back in and have that procedure. Um, Email blasts, I've seen that too, kind of touting all of the, um, you know, practices really do a good job, right? We're healthcare providers. So, uh, a lot of folks, you can't even enter the building until you filled out a questionnaire and your temperature has been taken. And literally, practices will give a ticket to the patient to enter the premises. So I, I think it's um, it's tricky because we're we're dealing with a lot of unknowns. You know, even a 
a patient might be on the fence about coming to have an elective procedure, but perhaps they live with someone who's immunocompromised. Mm -hmm. So I think there are so many layers to this that, that uh, we just might not appreciate. Um, uh, So, so it's pretty complex, but yeah, I've seen a couple of those things and then the personal phone calls too. But again, Mm -hmm. if the patient is living with someone who has some health issues, um, you know, there's just a bigger picture to to appreciate. I want to get back to total cost of care because that is mm-hmm. one of your major areas of focus all of the time when you're working with healthcare. How has the right. equation changed? What does it look like total cost of care? What does it look like today versus what it looked like in February? I mean, what are some of the other factors that we have to put into play here to make all of it work? Yeah, you know, I think one of the and you we we talked about this a little bit, but I, I that from a total cost of care perspective, we have a decrease in just health consumption of healthcare. So the well visits aren't happening. Mm-hmm. So now, what is that going to mean down the line for individuals? Um, you know, I, I think we're going to see that. So that's going to have a negative impact on total cost of care because a preventive visit's what a couple hundred bucks someone doesn't get that and develops a, a serious condition, we're talking thousands and thousands of dollars. So I think that's a question mark that we have from a total cost of care perspective. So the trick is getting folks back into the rhythm of preventive care and um, figuring out the ways to encourage that care to continue. And, and if it's in a non-traditional way, making sure that that happens. So uh, from a total cost of care perspective, that's that's one thing. You know, I think the other thing that's interesting, and I just read this article in the Wall Street Journal a couple weeks back, and it, I just was like, wow, this really makes a lot of sense. But if you kind of step back and think about it from a just a more of a, just a global perspective, we've got all these individuals out of work now and employers struggling to provide health care benefits we're going to have an influx into the Medicaid programs. Mm-hmm. So what is that going to mean to the state budgets? Well, that could be devastating from a state perspective. So there are, are so many things that are happening. And then long-term, what that means to a practice, right? If I've, my payer mix is shifting. So I've got more Medicaid now, potentially if I accept Medicaid members, I've got less commercial and a lot of times we make up those dollars on the commercial side. What does that mean from an economic perspective? So from a total cost of care perspective, it's a, a shift even in the, the payers that, that um, we definitely could see based on unemployment rates and the, the cost of health care in and of itself. Um, all of this, of course, at a time where we need health care and we need health care providers. So we've got to figure this out, how, how to address this so that we support these communities, um, we'll support our providers so that we're able to continue to um, provide care to all the members that, all the patients that need it. And, um, you know, I, I also think from a total cost of care perspective, we have, um, I hear a lot of this going on where we've got um, COVID tests that are positive one day and negative the next. So I wonder when this is going to settle down, what that data is really going to reveal to us 
from a, a cost of care perspective. And it's, again, it's kind of all over the board and I'm reading stuff daily about what this mm -hmm. means. And uh, we're continuing to see some conflicting information. So, you know, it's just, again, I think shining a light on um, how ill-prepared we were for this and, uh, and continue to kind of struggle even with the quality of some of the testing that's out there. Right. Um, yeah. But from a total cost of care perspective, I, I think uh, we're going to learn uh, we're going to learn a lot from this. And I, I really feel like one of the things we're going to discover is that um, stopping care for uh, for everybody in every situation, there's going to be some long term impact on um, on on the healthcare system for sure. And of course, the patients and will be um, interesting to see what that data shows us. Okay. Um, as a final thought then, I know that this has been a, an incredibly challenging time, but I wanted to get a, just a quick thought from you on what can we learn from this? What can we take away from all of the challenges, challenges we've had during this pandemic so that we are uh, better prepared uh, as a healthcare industry, um, as a provider yeah. um, moving forward? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the, I think the key takeaways, and we talk about this with our clients a lot, is really exploring these ways to um, assist patients remotely. Um, I think, you know, the, the telehealth platform, but remote patient monitoring, I mean, what are, what are some of the creative ways that we can be um, providing services to, to communities that we might have been putting off? Um, and, and a lot of these things are things that are just, you know, they're new, they might take a little more time and investment to explore, but I, I really think that this is going to push us to consider those things given what we're experiencing right now. So while we might not have um, really, you know, for example, thought about the information that an Apple Watch could, could give us, maybe now is the time to be asking those questions because we can get potentially ahead a little bit ahead of things like this in the future if we're if we are um, uh, more proactively thinking about these uh, new care models that that are um, you know have become rapidly adopted I think that that's really really key for us um, and and the other the other piece I would say is to look at to our payer partners to help us weather these storms. Again, Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, a tremendous example in um, really uh, coming to the rescue of many small practices in rural communities that might have otherwise shut their doors. So, you know, there's this quote, um, I can't remember exactly where it came from, but it's like, don't be afraid to ask for something um, outlandish. And I think this is the time to do that. So. If you're really struggling as a practice, talk to your payer partners, the one that's, that constitute a great deal of your business. Tell them where you're at and see if there's anything that can be done from a reimbursement perspective. Um, you might be surprised. I mean, I haven't heard of another payer doing anything like this. That doesn't mean they won't. Yeah, that's a great point, Doral. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing these great insights. My pleasure, Daniel. Thank you for the opportunity and uh, stay safe and healthy. You do the same. Take care now. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. 
Thanks to Audi for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about the MGMA Audi Incentive Program, visit mgma.com slash membership slash Audi. Also, thanks to our guest, Doral Jacobson. To hear more from Doral and other industry experts, register for MGMA's virtual Medical Practice Excellence Conference at mgma.com slash M-P-E-C. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe. And thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks.